Hello, welcome back to another episode. Today we have a special guest joining us, Charlene Madden. Charlene Madden is the creator of Ignite Your Life BC Women's Workshop. She's an author, a speaker, and a women's empowerment coach. In today's episode, Charlene shares her story with us and how it birthed her purpose. Today, Charlene's passion is to reach out to as many women as possible, to encourage them, to uplift them, to empower them, to give them hope, to let them know that they're seen. Thank you so much, Charlene, for what you're doing, and we appreciate you for joining us here today at Sister's Crown to uplift another sister. So thank you, Charlene, for saying yes to your purpose. Also to our listeners, I want to appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you so much for tuning into Sister's Crown. Every time we drop an episode, we have people that are listening, and it's because of you. Thank you so much. You're the person that is listening, so we appreciate each and every one of you. And our hope for you all today is that at the end of today's episode, you are encouraged, you're uplifted, you're empowered, you're hopeful. And also, I have done something at the end that I've never done before. And that is that I released a clip, a conversation of me and Charlene. And I'm talking to Charlene regarding as to why I am so grateful to have her on today's episode. So you want to stay tuned to find out the why. All right, thank you so much. You know what, I'm talking way too much. Let's just go ahead and get into this episode, please, because you don't want to miss it. Oh, we back again. Welcome back to another episode of Sisters Crown Podcast, a podcast for women uplifting women to change the mindset of competing to uplifting one another. I am your host, Bill Keese Asaramo. Let's get into it. Hi, Charlene. Hi, how are you today? Good. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm excited to have you on. Thank you for joining us here today. My honor. Before we start today's episode, if you can please introduce yourself. Sure. Um, My name is Charlene Madden. I am a women's empowerment coach. I am a speaker. I am an author. I am a Reiki practitioner, and I am a mom of three absolutely amazing kids, and I am absolutely honored to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. We're happy to have you on. I know you're here um, to share your story with us and also how your story led you to helping women today. Mm-hmm. So the platform is yours now. All right. Thank you. Um, yeah, my story, um, where I'm at now in my life, I do... Uh, women's coaching. I host a yearly workshop and um, it's based on the foundation that I want to help women. I want to help women rise up out of, out of trauma that they have experienced because I experienced a lot of trauma in my life and it led me to some extremely dark places. Mm. My story really starts back when I was a child Um At the age of three and a half, my parents divorced and I was placed in uh, the care of my grandparents. And my grandmother was an amazing woman, very strong, uh, you know, taught us to be independent, get a good education. And um, my grandfather, unfortunately, was a pedophile. So at the age of three and a half, I started experiencing uh, sexual abuse at his hands, along with my older sister. Mm. And uh, this went on for nine years. We kept it secret. We kept it hidden. Um, I think myself, I was so terrified that if 
I said anything that we would be sent away and the only family that I knew I would, I would lose. Um, my sister, unfortunately, at the age of 16, she kind of had a nervous breakdown because um, her abuse had been far worse than mine. Um, and at 16, she was afraid that she was going to become impregnated by my grandfather. And as bad as she wanted to leave, she was terrified that if she left, he would turn that abuse on to me. And so she basically had a breakdown at school and everything came out. So here I am, I'm 12 and a half. Uh, my grandfather gets arrested. Um, my grandparents get divorced. Our family breaks up anyway. And I, you know, growing up in a really small town, everyone knew so there was this constant sense of shame because we've, you know, I felt like not only did my parents not want me, um, you know, I was a victim of, you know, child abuse and, you know, we went from living in a beautiful old house to now we were in low income housing and it just, the stigmas really piled on. And I went into high school with that and, you know, going into high school is a traumatic time as it is for a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. And, um, here I was faced with dealing with these emotions. Now, when the abuse came out, um, we didn't get any counseling. There was no counseling, no therapy. Social services were briefly involved. You know, and I remember sitting in a social worker's office, mm -hmm. you know, and she kind of, you know, asking all these questions that I didn't want to answer because I had so much shame. And I remember her coming around the, you know, the desk and patting me on the shoulder and saying, you know, I just want you to know you're going to be okay. And at 12 and a half, I had no idea at that point in my life what okay was supposed to look like because I hadn't felt okay before. Wow. So I go into high school and I am experiencing and fighting all of these feelings that I had. And I started experiencing um, mental health struggles. I started to get um, suicidal and I started um, cutting myself as a way of trying to purge the emotions because the emotions were so overwhelming and I didn't feel like I had any other outlet and I didn't want to, you know, I, I wanted to die, but I didn't want to hurt my grandma. I was so worried about causing her any more pain. And so when I wasn't cutting, I found an outlet of writing and I poured all of my emotions out onto paper. And I always said, I, you know, poured ink on paper rather than blood at times and of course, writing very dark and depressing and suicidal stuff got the attention of my teacher and the guidance counselor. And they sent me off to see a school psychologist. And after an afternoon of questionnaires and questions and, you know, being quizzed on how I was feeling, the um, psychologist diagnosed me as being manic depressive bipolar. So now wow. on top of that, you know, and, and again, I'm sitting in a room by myself with this psychologist, no parental guardian no there. Or anything. You, just you by yourself. I was just me by myself. And I mean, I'm 15. I have no idea what that means. So for me, it's just another stigma that has been placed on my head. Just one more thing that I've got to try to deal with. And I remember the psychologist looking across and saying, um, but I want you to know we're here for you and you're going to be okay. And again, I'm thinking, I'm so tired of adults telling me I'm going to be okay. Like they have no idea how I'm feeling. How can they tell me I'm going to be okay? And, you know, she was like, if you need to talk, come back and talk. And I was like, that's the last thing I want to do is talk. So 
I just tried to throw myself into my schoolwork. Um, I was drinking extremely heavily um, during school, uh, smoking marijuana, just anything basically that I could do to numb the pain. And uh, all I could think of was just get graduating high school so that my grandmother would be happy and then getting as far away as I could because I thought if I left, like I thought geography was going to fix everything. And it's funny that we sometimes think that, that just running away will solve the problems. So I moved away after high school with my high school sweetheart and we went on to have three absolutely amazing kids. I have two beautiful daughters and a son. And I thought that having kids would fix that hole that I had inside of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't, of course, that hole was still there and it just seemed to get wider and the world just seemed to get darker and darker. And at the age of 28, I made a decision because I was getting extremely suicidal and I was starting to panic that my kids were going to come home and find me dead because I was fantasizing about hanging myself in my house. Wow. And I didn't want my kids to find that. So I sat down with my husband and I said, I need to leave the house right now. Um, I'm not fit to look after myself, let alone three young children. Now, at this point, our marriage was pretty much over. And so he didn't put up too much of a fight. And um, I moved out and moved in with my mother-in-law because she lived close. So I could still be close to my kids. Mm -hmm. And I thought I would take the time that I could get better. I didn't know what better was, but I thought, okay, I'll just, you know, get away and I'll be able to focus and, and life will get better. And it didn't. Uh, Of course, I drank more because the guilt of leaving my children became so overwhelming. And just a mere month after I left my husband, I jumped into another relationship because I just wanted someone to love me so bad. I think I kind of had hoped that my husband would fight for me Mm -hmm. in the marriage, but he didn't. And so I needed that validation. I needed someone to say I was worth loving And unfortunately, when they say like attract like, it is so true because the man I got in a relationship with was as dysfunctional as I was. He was an alcoholic. I didn't know it at the time, but he was uh, into doing hard drugs. And he was also violent when he drank and he suffered from his own mental illness. And very quickly, I started experiencing domestic violence in the relationship and Two years of this goes on, and after an extremely bad night, an episode, he had left the apartment, and I sat on the floor crying, asking myself how much more of this I could handle, Mm. and my answer was no more. I couldn't handle any more, so I went to my medicine cabinet, and I emptied out all the pills in it, and I took them, and then I sat down on my couch with a pad of paper and a pen, and I started writing my goodbye letter to my children. And I pray that no one that's listening to this has ever experienced that because it's the most horrific feeling you can have as you're trying to explain, like my son was a year and a half, trying to put into words why you're taking your life and leaving them. And as I'm writing and I'm sobbing, I just realize I can't do it. It's I'm abandoning my kids like my parents I felt had done to me. And so I took a cab to the emergency room and I was sitting at the admissions desk explaining that I was overdosing on pills and I collapsed. And when I woke up, I had tubes down my throat and my partner was laying or sitting beside me in a chair and of course crying and 
promising me that everything would be different and that, you know, he'd never do anything like that again. Mm. So I get discharged from the hospital and my mom calls me because he had contacted my mom to let her know that I was in the hospital. And she said, I think you need to pack the kids up and move out West and we will help you get on your feet. We will, you know, help you get your life back together. And of course this fit my pattern of running. I thought, yes, if I just change locations, everything's going to get better. Mm. And I did, I moved across the country with my kids and, um, Six months later, my partner moved out. He promised, you know, said he loved me. He missed me. He was a changed man. Everything was going to be better. And of course, that's never true. Um, And so I experienced another decade of complete dysfunction in that relationship. Abuse, adultery, uh, drug addiction, alcohol addiction on both of our parts. Just complete dysfunction. Mm. And in 2015, um, he came home July 1st uh, and said, um, I'm leaving the relationship. I'm moving in with someone else. And I was absolutely crushed because I felt Mm -hmm. abandonment all over again. Yeah. And um, so he moves out and I decide that now is my chance to start getting my life together. And um, I start doing that. I put on a really brave face. I, at the time, called it a brave face, but really it was just a mask. Mm. I was trying to hide all the emotions that I was feeling, even though I was breaking down inside. And I, two and a half months, I struggled to, to pretend that I was okay and that I was better off. And I, it was a Thursday evening. I was sitting at work. I had just finished. I was bartending at the time sitting after my shift and a police officer walks in and says, Charlene, can I talk to you outside? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And he knew where to find me because he had been involved in one of our domestic disputes. And um, he took me outside and he said, Charlene, I want you to know, I just came on shift and I saw a note on the board that they found your ex-partner's body. He has shot and killed himself. (gasps) My goodness. And everything seemed to get really quiet, you know, like I'm, I'm seeing cars go by and I can't hear anything. Mm -hmm. And all I'm thinking is that's it. Like that's the final ultimate abandonment that you can experience. Like, what am I going to do? I have to go tell my kids now that the man who basically had raised them for 13 and a half years has taken his own life. Uh, Even if he was not the best, you know, stepdad in the world, he was still the closest thing they had to a dad. Mm -hmm. And, um, And now how was I going to go on? And about two weeks later, I'm sitting with a friend and I start telling her how angry I am. And she's like, well, of course you're angry. It's one of the stages of grief. And I said, no, you don't understand. I am not angry that he took his own life. I'm angry he did it first. Wow. Because now I see the pieces that you have to pick up. Like I see the heartache and the pain and the lives that are destroyed when you make that decision. And I want nothing more than to end my life. But how do you do that after you've seen the, what happens? Mm. And so I just think, okay, we can, we can get through this, you know, like, let's just keep plugging away. Like we always do. And that didn't, you know, it only lasted for about six more months. And I had received a life insurance policy um, after his death. And I, you know, remember sitting there thinking what I was going to do. And, and I had one evening where I was 
so messed up that I was sitting on my bathroom floor crying, just feeling so completely broken inside, so alone, so empty. And I've got my gun cabinet key in one hand and pills in the other. And I'm trying to think what would be my best way of ending my life. And all I could think of was that my son is downstairs and whatever option I choose, he's the one that's going to have to to deal with my decision. So I just grabbed a knife and I just started cutting. I reverted right back to that, you know, childhood coping mechanism because I didn't have anything else. Mm. And I remember there as I'm, I'm watching the blood pool on the floor that I needed to get help. Like I've got to find a way because we were teetering on the edge here and there's one of two options. Either you get help or we're completely lost. So I booked an appointment with a psychiatrist and I started seeing, you know, going for visits. Now about the third visit in, and I will say I'm not the most patient person in the world. I, um, I remember thinking, I don't want to talk about why I'm messed up. I know why I'm messed up. Like, we don't need to keep going back to this. What I need is for you to tell me how to fix it. Just give me my steps, one to five. What do I need to do? Mm. And I remember looking at her and saying, well, can you tell me how you dealt with your mental health struggles? Like, what did you do? And I kind of watched her eyes glaze over and she kind of looked at me and she says, well, I've never struggled with mental health issues. And I'm thinking, then how can you possibly tell me you understand? How can you relate? You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm feeling. I just felt like once again, here I was alone adrift. I didn't have anyone that understood what I was going through. And I left that appointment. And at the time, you know, when, when I left, she was so excited for me because I was buying a house mm-hmm. and, um, you know, people that are going to commit suicide, don't buy a house. They don't make plans for the future. But really what my plan was, is that the house I was going to leave as a legacy to my kids, I felt like the only thing I could leave a value or provide a value for my kids was money. And so that's why I bought the house. Mm -hmm. And I set a goal after I took possession of the house, I took possession at the end of September. But in at the end of October, I was going to take my life, I set my date, I gave myself 30 days to get everything in order so that I would leave my family as set up as I possibly could. And I was about two weeks away from the date that I had set when a girl I worked with came up and said, Hey, there's this woman's workshop. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, absolutely not. Like I'm thinking that is the last thing I want to do. Mm -hmm. And she said, please, I really want to go, but I don't want to go by myself. And I'm like, oh man, right? Like, cause that's my kryptonite. I had a heart for service. (laughs) I wanted to, you know, I always wanted to help other people. Didn't want to help myself, but I wanted Mm -hmm. to help other people. That's deep. I was I was like, okay, sure. I'll go with you. So I get my ticket and it happens that this workshop is a Saturday, Sunday, and it's the two days before the date I have set to end my life. So I think, okay, this is actually perfect. So I can go to this workshop. I can make it look, you know, like I'm invested in life and then no one will suspect anything. Mm. So I show up on that Saturday morning to the workshop. I have got my hunting rifle in the backseat of my vehicle. I've got the stick that I'm going to use to pull the trigger. So I make sure that I don't, you know, do anything wrong. And I walk into this room and I immediately feel sick to my stomach because I feel like I am somewhere I don't belong. And it just echoed how I felt in life. Like I'm looking at all these women in the room who seem like they've got it all together 
you know, they're all excited. They're all, you know, making plans. I can hear them setting goals. Mm -hmm. And here I am like just being a fake. I'm just trying to get through two days so I can end my life. And I just, I go and I sit down on my seat and I just, you know, I'm thinking, I just got to get through two days. So the first half goes by of the day and it's people talking about finances and health and fitness and diet. And I'm thinking none of these apply to me. And um, then the afternoon session comes and the first speaker in the afternoon takes the stage and it's a woman who is bald and she is talking about having alopecia, which means she's lost all of her hair mm -hmm. and how she struggled as a child to have a sense of worth and to love herself and how, you know, she had struggled with alcohol and drugs and feeling, you know, depression and stuff like that because she didn't love herself. And it was the moment that she learned to not rely on anybody else for validation and to love herself that her life changed and changed for the better. Mm. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I hear this little voice that says, what about you? And I think, yeah, what about me? Like, how different could my life have been mm -hmm. had I not constantly searched for someone else to validate my place on this planet? Why couldn't I just have loved myself? And why couldn't that have been enough? Mm -hmm. And I kind of brushed it off. And then the next speaker gets up on stage and she starts talking about living for two decades with mental health struggles and wanting to, make, to commit suicide mm. and how her life changed when she learned to embrace that part of her instead of trying to bury it, instead of fighting it, she embraced it and accepted it as part of her and loved that part of her as well, which allowed her to heal. Mm. And again, as I'm sitting there, I hear that little voice that says, what about you? And I'm thinking, yeah, like how different could my life have been had I learned to live with my mental health instead of trying to, you know, keep it at bay. If I just embraced that darkness mm -hmm. and, and learn to, by embracing it, bring the light into it. And again, I brushed that off. And then the next speaker comes on stage and it's the last speaker of that, of the afternoon. And he starts talking, it's a gentleman, he starts talking about um, living with alcohol addiction, addiction to pain medication, sleeping pills, and how he had been suicidal, he'd struggled with mental health issues, and how he had been searching for a year to find a perfect mix of pain meds and alcohol so he could make his death look like an accidental overdose, because he sold life insurance, so he knew all the, the ins and outs that he had to do to, to take care of his family. Wow. He'd been divorced. He had basically lost, you know, custody of his, of his children and only had visitation very, very rarely. And one evening his wife asked if he could watch the kids overnight, which never happened. And he said, yes. And it was on that night that he had his kids that he found that perfect mix of alcohol and pain medication. And as he was laying on his couch with his children asleep in the next room, he could feel himself slowly overdosing. And as he laid there, he heard a voice that said, no, not like this, not, not today. We, there's more. And he got to his phone and he called 911 and he got help. He got clean and sober. He got into therapy. He changed his life. And now he was going out and sharing his stories mm -hmm. to help others. And as I'm sitting in that chair, I'm kind of like, what is going on at this moment? Like I, you know, almost looking around for a hidden camera, I'm thinking in my mind, because I'm like, 
I'm at an event that I didn't want to come to. And I have just heard three talk about the three areas of my life mm. that I'm struggling the most with. And here are three people who have come through those, those struggles. Mm. And I'm like, what if I'm here for a reason? And what if that reason is to figure out my purpose? And maybe it's to, you know what, to, to share my struggles and to say, you know what? Yeah, I've struggled. I've been there too. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, like people talk about a light bulb moment or yeah. an aha moment. That's mm-hmm. what it was. Like, I remember sitting there going, no, no. Like I made that decision in that moment that I was going to choose life. And not just choose life. Like I wasn't just going to live. I was going to thrive. I was going to do, finally do the work that I needed to do. And I remember going up to the lady who hosted the event afterwards. And I said, I would really like to sit down with you and and just let you know what this event has meant for me. Because I felt I owed that to her because I'm like, this woman saved my life Mm. and she's got no idea. Wow. I sat down with her. I told her my story and I said, I would love to come back next year and share my story. And she was like, absolutely. So I went back the next year. I shared my story at the event. And I remember before I got off the stage and I said, my purpose in speaking and sharing my story is to give hope to someone who feels hopeless, to let someone know they're not alone. I see you and I see what you're going through. Mm. And if every, by sharing my story, if I can save one life, then everything I've gone through has been worth it. Mm-hmm. And I got off the stage and I was getting ready to walk out of the room. And I had a woman come up to me and she said, you know how you wanted to save a life? Today you did. And she yeah. turned and walked away. And I was just like, oh, kind of in shock. Mm. But then I heard that voice in the back of my head and it said, now let's go find one more. Wow. So for me, every day is just about reaching out to try to find that one more, that one more person who needs to know that they're not alone, that one more person who needs hope and needs to know that, you know what, it's okay to not be okay. We don't have to have it all together. You know, not, you know, it's okay to fall apart sometimes, but you got to pick those pieces up. And so that's why, you know, I come on these podcasts because I want to share my story. I want people to know that they're not alone. And that's why, you know, I'm grateful that you have me on here so that I can possibly just save one more life. Yes. Um, thank you so much for even sharing your story. Thank you so much for joining us here. It's, I'm just still in awe. I'm listening to your story and I'm soaking up everything in and I'm just like, you don't know what people are going through. Mm-hmm. And just hearing your story alone allows me to even humble myself and be like, be grateful for life, be grateful for where I am today, because you don't know what other people are going through. And just to hear your story. And now you find through your story, you found your purpose and your purpose to help other women know that they're seen. Absolutely. Giving hope to the hopeless. Wow. that That's a lot. Thank you so much for coming on here and speaking to us and sharing your story with us. Can you please talk a little bit more about your women's empowerment workshop? Mm-hmm. So what I did was um, the lady that hosted the workshop that saved my life after about her fifth one, she decided, you know, uh, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of work, a lot of, you know, time. And I think she was just drained. 
And I remember, you know, I was just after the new year, I was kind of sitting there, this is 2020. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, wow, it's really too bad that she's not hosting those workshops because I know the power that they can have. It's too bad someone else wasn't doing it. And then there's that little familiar voice in my mind that said, well, what about you? And I thought, yeah, what about me? Like, why don't I step up and do what I know need, you know, like needs to be done. I can, I can provide a platform for women to come in and, yes. and hear other speakers and, yeah. and get the healing that they need. Mm -hmm. So I, 2020, I made the plans and I hosted my first um, live workshop. It's called Ignite Your Life. Um, you can find it on Facebook. And I brought in speakers from, you know, from around the area and um, they just came in and poured out their hearts and and talked about healing and, and recovery and trauma. And uh, the next year, 2021, I had to hold it virtually, but we're hoping this next year, 2022, we can be a, a kind of a mix of, of live and virtual so that we can just get access to more people and yes. give more hope. So, yeah, this is so beautiful. Your story and how it led you to where you are today, your journey, it's amazing. And I just want to say you are the strongest woman that I know. Oh, thank you. Yes, I do. Like all, everything you have shared with us from the time you were young to now, all that you went through, I, I can never say I, I understand. But just hearing your story alone just moves me and let me know that I need to be more grateful in life. And every time I wake up every morning, I should be grateful to be alive because I don't know anyone's story. And mm. we all, I have my struggles too. And you know, my struggle may be different from yours, but hearing your story just allows me to say, you know what, Bill Keys, you need to be grateful that you woke up this morning. You need to be mm. grateful for the food that you're eating, for the clothes that you're wearing, for the roof that's over your head. So thank and, you so much for yeah, sharing. Yeah, and that's that's such a healing practice. And if that's, you know, if that's one thing people can start doing, it's just, you know, every every morning and every night, write down three things you're grateful for because we are, we're great. You know, I've got things to be grateful for, even the struggles I had. You know, I'm grateful that I never, you know, followed through. I'm grateful I made it to the hospital and I'm grateful I can be out there saving lives. So, yeah, I'm grateful for you too. Also, I wanted to ask you a question um, about suicide. I know lately on the news, there's a lot of women, even men as well, um, that commit suicide. And a lot of people are like, you know, their family, friends, like, we didn't know this was coming. Mm -hmm. We assure them we love them. I've always been there. She didn't tell me. I didn't know she was going through it. Is there a way that we, is there a way that we can identify it even if the person doesn't tell us? What should we be looking for? Yeah, there, I mean, there's the, the standard things that you can look for. I mean, the people starting, like I say, check out, right? Like people stop, um, they stop going out. They stop doing the things that they enjoy. Um, but you know what? Really, the only way you're going to know, mm -hmm. and I so encourage this of all people, is to really have authentic conversation. Like, I mean, like, don't how, don't what I say to people, don't say, hey, how are you doing today? And already be thinking about something else. Mm -hmm. Like really stop and take time. And hey, I just want to check in with you. How are you doing right now? Right. And 
no one knew. Like once I started sharing my story, people were like, we had no clue you were going through this. And I was like, no, because I had like 40 years of practice to pretend that I was okay. You know, but I never, ever had anyone really check in with me and say, hey, I just want to know. I care about how are you doing right now? Are you doing okay? And I mean, everything that we've been through over the last two years, it is more important than ever to check in. And I will tell you, it is the people that you think are the strongest that are hurting the most. Wow. That is an interesting fact. Yeah. I mean, cause I, everyone thought, um, I, I, you know, if, if, if you could see me, I'm covered in tattoos. Like I walked around with an air of confidence but that confidence stemmed from, I don't want to say terror, but being afraid of being hurt. So I, I compensated with this persona of being really confident and powerful. But meanwhile, I was breaking down inside. So mm. like you were saying, like, we don't know by looking at someone, you know, what they're, what they are going through. And I look at, you know, when I walked into that room of all those ladies and I thought, wow, these ladies have it all together. I think to myself, I wonder how many of those ladies were falling apart and I just couldn't see it because they were as good at pretending as I was. So Ooh, Charlene, so. you hit that one. You hit that one on the nail. It's very yeah. true. Yeah. And, you know, and that's one of the reasons why Sisters Crown do exist, um, because we want to encourage women. We want women to see each other as sisters, you know, not competing literally mm -hmm. uplifting one another, encouraging each other, praying for each other, being there for each other, and just seeing another woman as your sister and like, okay, I want to have her back. I want to help her. And not always just seeing a woman like you got to compete with her. You know, yeah, there's, there's so much room at the table. Yeah. Like that's the way I look at it. Like, you know, and if there's no room at the table, then we build a bigger table. Right. Because mm. we, we need to, you know, we, I don't want to say fight the patriarchy, but, but we <laughs> need to uplift each other because, you know, no one is, else is going to do it. So we need to do that. We need to support each other and, you know, and just love on each other. Yes. No one else is going to do it. That's right. No one else. No one understands women, but women, you know, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I have my struggles too. I do. And I, and you know, there's days where I do have to mask. And I remember talking about it in my first season of sister's crown. There are moments I had to mask. And you know, the moment I realized that this is bad is when I couldn't cry. Like yeah. I was going through a lot, but I couldn't cry. Cause I built myself to a level where I don't cry. I don't break. Mm -hmm. I keep going. But I was broken inside. Yeah. I was going through a lot. And the moment I said, you know what? You have to cry. I'm giving you room to cry right now. I have to give myself permission to cry and feel it and soak it all in. Mm -hmm. You know, it was it was the best feeling ever. Yeah. Just got, letting that tear Feeling the feelings. Down. Yeah. Feeling yes. the feelings. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. And thank you for providing platforms for healing and for women to lift, you know, lift each other up. I mean, we, you know, thank I always say to the podcast hosts, I'm like, like, you guys have no idea the ripples that you create, you know, like they are, the ripples are spreading so far over this pond that we are on that, 
that, uh, that you're just creating such amazing impact. So I just, I'm so happy and honored to be part of it. So. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it has been a pleasure having you on here today as Sister's Crown. Uh, you. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share with us? Any words of encouragement for our listeners? I do. I always leave, try, I try to leave with the same message. And that is sometimes it's really hard to reach out um, because you feel like you don't have anybody that understands how you feel. And I know what it's like to sit in the dark and feel all alone. And I don't ever want anyone to feel that way. So I always give a message that you can find me on Facebook at Charlene Madden, speaker and author, and reach out to me. Like if you're feeling lost and alone and that you don't have any hope and you feel like you have no one to turn to, to talk to, I am available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I will come and sit, of course, it's probably going to be virtually, but I will come and sit in the dark with you. So you know, you're not alone until you are ready to rise up out of the ashes and just to blaze because there are amazing things. You know, each of us has amazing things planned for our lives that we don't even know. We haven't even scratched the surface of. So Mm. you're loved, you're worth it. Please reach out if you need help. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remain blessed, be encouraged. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at sisterscrown underscore podcast or on our website www.sisterscrown.com for the latest news and updates. But one of the main reasons why a Sister's Crown does exist is for other women to encourage other women to share their story, to let everyone know that we all women and we all go through something and this is how we can help each other. And just hearing your story and then how you spoke with a friend and you didn't want to go and the friend was like, come on. And you were like, okay, you know what? I'm here for her. She's she's my ride or die. I'm, I'm just going to mm-hmm. go with her. And just hear, like, is all of these things I'm listening to you and I'm just like, wow, that friend didn't know she's going to help you. No, no idea. In that moment, you're like, I'm helping her just by showing up. Yeah. You know, and then when you got there, you see other women, you're like, oh yeah, they have it all together. And I love it how towards the end of the podcast, you also stated like, you stopped like that then. But now when you thought about it, it's like, what if they were masking just like me? Mm-hmm. And that's where it gets so real, Charlene. Yeah. It gets so authentic. Yeah. You know? So thank you so much. You literally just wrapped up my mission. Oh, awesome. Crown in one podcast. Amazing. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.